Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the Play Like a Girl podcast, one of the shows for SB Nation's Ohio State site, Land Grant Holy Land. We are two girls talking about sports because our opinion counts too. I'm your host, Meredith Hine, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by my co-host, Alexis Jason. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. I got like COVID boosted and flu shotted yesterday. So like, you know, maybe a little fatigued. Maybe I'll spend the day in sweatpants. I think you should. I think every every person deserves a sweatpant day after that. Thank you. And like, it's a Tuesday. There's no benefit to Tuesday. So yeah. It, it's Tuesdays in the fall scream sweatpants, really. Yeah. Well, every, like, day, every day does, but you know. And, like, we're going to get rain in Chicago today, so I'm, like, feeling, if you're a fan of The Office, I'm feeling, like, all the phrases that Phyllis says when it rains. Um, So I'm just going to curl up on the couch and read a good book today, apparently. Seems like a great day for it. Yeah. How about you? How are things on your end? Pretty good. Just, you know, living the NFL dream over here and going from there. You literally are living the NFL dream. Um... So as many listeners might know, Alexis is the team assistant brand producer of SB Nation's Bleeding Green Nation, which covers the Philadelphia Eagles. She's also an Ohio State alum and contributor for LGHL. But the Eagles remain the last undefeated team in the NFL, which I was not expecting. I don't know if you were expecting this heading into the season. I was for sure not expecting it. Like there was a ton of preseason hype, and but we all know preseason hype really doesn't mean much of anything when you get on the field and while all the pieces seem to be there I'm pleasantly surprised with how they're actually putting it together 
Yeah, it's well, even from week one, it was kind of surprising. I think it was a bit of a head scratcher. And all of a sudden we are in week five and they're the top of every power ranking. Um, But I have to ask, what has surprised you throughout the season? What hype turned out to be real or what were you not expecting at all? I think I'm more surprised by the defense. Like uh, the secondary has been pretty young for the last couple of years. And I feel like Howie Roseman just chose not to invest in linebackers for the last five years for whatever reason. But uh, the group really has been putting a lot of um, you know pressure on offenses and I think defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon has allowed the defensive line to really attack the quarterback and blitz way more than he did last year. So I think we're seeing a more aggressive defense, which is like another pleasant surprise. Speaking as a Browns fan, I can tell you the pitfalls of not investing in your secondary, even though the Browns have very much invested, but the schemes just are not working out for them. But I digress. We don't have to talk about the Browns literally ever because they're (laughs) completely irrelevant. Um, But I got to talk about Jalen Hurts too. I mean, you mentioned the defense being really a surprise. I feel like he's really come into his own this year as well. He really has. I was like admittedly like not a fan when the Eagles drafted him. Like, you know, I was still riding the Carson Wentz train and I was like, what are we doing? I don't know. And then – I feel like he's super monotone in all his press conferences. And so I was like, oh, my God, this kid just repeats the same things over and over. But now I get it. I feel like he's this totally different guy in the locker room. And I'm like, I stand for Jalen Hurts. Love that. Well, on a lighter note, one of his favorite targets, obviously, Devontae Smith. Uh, did you see the video of him just being cold in Philly? <laughs> I did. I loved it so much. Like running back Miles Sanders, he's from Pittsburgh and he played at Pitt. And he was saying how much he loves playing in weather and how, you know, the guys fr- coming from the South and the SEC, like just have no idea how to handle it. And that video of Smith was just hilarious. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, he puts a towel on his head at one point because he's like, I have to have something on my head. <laughs> he like, um, spent like, the whole game asking the equipment guy, like, I need gloves. I need a towel. It's so cold. It's so cold. And it, it was like 55 and rainy. So, I mean, it was like Southern cold, but Midwestern, like, decent. So, <laughs> it's just funny. Again, it's the it's the Midwestern weather that we live for the entire year. We're delighted by 50 degrees. Uh, yeah, like I'll take it. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of the rest of the NFC East, uh, so obviously the Eagles are a surprise. I think the bigger surprise is that this division as a whole that has been so bad for so long was actually good almost from top to bottom. We're not going to give the commanders any credit. Oh, no, they don't deserve any. But yeah, I mean, really bad. The, like the Cowboys really looked bad to start the season. So their turnaround's a little surprising. And because um, they didn't really invest in a whole lot of like depth at really critical positions, like along the offensive line and like wide receivers. So the fact that they're putting it together now, they could have a late season resurgence, although the Eagles play them this week. So I really hope it's not a week six resurgence. And fingers fingers crossed for you. Yeah. And who would have guessed the Giants like would win a game in London over the Packers? I mean, the Giants are the Giants and they have been bad. I mean, 
But the Giants are also the team that even when they won the su- their Super Bowls, were they actually that good? Right. No. Like, and- they were so bad, but they won Super Bowls. Yeah, I think it's the whole head coaching thing. Like, um, I don't even remember who their coach was last year, but he was mad all the time and he yelled all the time. <laughs> like, um, was that so- McAdoo or was that before? Um, McAdoo was before that. Um, I don't remember, but I remember he made them like run sprints all the time and the locker room culture seemed aggressively not good. So maybe uh, this year, you know, under new head coach, they'll be decent. We shall see. I have a friend who's a Giants fan who's just living his best life currently. Of course, if you're a Giants fan, you really have no right to complain because you did win two Super Bowls in recent memory. Um, But the other piece, too, is I simply don't know if I can live in a world where the Cowboys are actually good. No, We already hear it from their fans, even when they're terrible. Yeah, and they haven't literally won in the postseason for, like, 19 years. Like, I don't know what, like, (laughs) I don't know why they're so excited all the time. But they, (laughs) they talk a lot of smack for a team that has been fairly mediocre and occasionally dynamic. I think you should frame that statement. (laughs) I think that describes the Cowboys of the last decade very well. Um, I will give Scooter Magruder credit. I think he probably is like, I mean, obviously it's satire, but I think Cowboys fans maybe take it a little too seriously. Yeah. Um, But let's address that fourth team in the NFC East uh, because Ron Rivera casually had a sick burn on his quarterback Carson Wentz. Um, according to Rivera, uh, what's made the Eagles, Giants, and Cowboys so great this year is their quarterbacks. Oh. <laughs> I, he like said the silent part out loud. Like <laughs> everyone knows that, but I can't believe he said it. I think like, so when Carson Wentz was in Philly, he and Doug Peterson were so tethered together that like their success or failure was going to happen at the same time. And I feel like Ron Rivera's like, no, no, no. If Carson Wentz bad, like, then we can just get rid of him. Like, I still want my job next year. So I feel like he's sort of distancing himself. And he did, like, later on when asked about it again, sort of say, you know, like, no, we have confidence in him. You've seen that he can play really well and all this stuff. But it's like, no, like, you literally, you didn't just, like, throw him under the bus. I think Alex Smith said, like, you drove the bus over him. <laughs> so bad. Oh, gosh. Well, it's in total contrast to what we're seeing in Denver with Russell Wilson. Um, Nathaniel Hackett fully had his back. It was just this week that it came out that Wilson has been playing with a torn lat for most of the season, um, which may be why he's been playing so poorly for the Broncos. Um, But it's just an interesting, you know, they're standing behind their quarterback while Ron Rivera is very much going in this opposite direction. Yeah, and it's like, Uh, Ron Rivera mentioned, well, the other teams built around their quarterback. It's like, it's not the other teams or even Carson Wentz's fault that they have put all these like really good offensive pieces in place, but have played like duck, duck, goose with their quarterbacks the last few years. Like they have had no consistency uh, in probably three or four years at the position. So like, I wouldn't be surprised But that's like you as an organization did a really bad job setting up like how you're going to build your team. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about several of 
while most of the situations we're about to address is many teams, as happens in the offseason, attempt to bring in a veteran quarterback. There were a lot of shifts in this offseason. We mentioned Russell Wilson already, Carson Wentz, but also Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield, Mitch Trubisky, all going to new teams, all having started for their previous teams, and some of them having pretty significant success and really flopping in these new environments. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it's like weird, um, su- surprising. Um, I don't know. It's It just doesn't seem normal that there was this many quarterback changes and it all seemed to be like all the teams they left got better. I think that's what's really interesting about it because Geno Smith in Seattle is like, when was the last time we talked about Geno Smith? I mean, when he was with the Jets like six years ago. (laughs) And we all thought he was a flop, right? But yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's definitely looking like the Seattle is definitely looking like the winner. I always think it's interesting. Like when Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, broke up you know it was very much a well like who was the success because of like is Tom Brady going to leave and have success or is Belichick going to be able to like continue things in New England and we all learned it was Tom Brady and now Mm -hmm. I feel like the same thing in Seattle with Russell Wilson like was it Russell Wilson or was it Pete Carroll and now it's like well Pete Carroll's winning I mean I don't know what happened I said this I think last time um when I was talking to Megan is that like, I don't know what happened with Russell Wilson in Seattle, but way too many people have like sour takes on him. Like, I feel like one day we'll get the full story, like a 30 for 30 in 15 years and learn like what he did to that locker room, because there is no love lost between him and that city or that team. Well, it is the whole city. And like it, as someone who's not a Seattle fan, it feels very surprising because you'd think that you would still be a fan of a quarterback who won you a Super Bowl in recent memory. But, I mean, he got booed when the Broncos were playing at Seattle yeah, earlier they, this season. It's shocking. And, and all the players, you know, um, like Richard Sherman, like everyone seemed to really – enjoy watching Russell Wilson lose and struggle. And that's what I mean. Like we don't have the whole story and I don't think we're going to get it anytime soon because if it was going to leak, I feel like it would have already. But like one day we're going to find out like what happened there. Cause that's like not a normal story. Yeah, it's a, I agree. Uh, Well, I'll take that bet on a 30 for 30. Yes. In 15 years. I will watch it. That's for sure. Oh, for sure. And I will text you and be like, what the? <laughs> Here, yeah. we finally have answers. Um, but anyway, on the note of quarterbacks, we also have to address probably the biggest story of this weekend in football, which were two major roughing the passer penalties that, I don't know, Alexis, growing up watching football – I don't think either of them looked remotely like roughing the passer penalties. One was on or called against um, or uh, called on Tom Brady when he was sacked, and the other was Monday night uh, on Derek Carr. Um, (laughs) What are your thoughts on the penalties themselves? Yeah, I mean, they were formerly called tackles, is what I thought. Um, And what like terrible timing, too. Like Tom Brady, I mean, that's. 
the Falcons lost because of that call. And um, the one last night was just silly. And like their explanations to the pool reporters afterward are like, well, they, you know, he was in a passing posture and the defender landed with his full body weight on him. Like, I don't know how you're like, how do you not use your full body weight? Like, I don't understand um, how these coaches are supposed to teach their players like not to do that. Um, Cause I know like with a lot of penalties, at least like Nick Sirianni always says, you know, we have to coach our players how to, you know, do these things like by the rules to avoid the flags. And like, I think in this position, you're just like, you know, it's a crapshoot. Like, I don't know, just tackle him and we'll see what happens if the flag's called afterward. Yeah. And what's troubling is exactly what you just described that, this is exactly how players have been taught to tackle and also to tackle safe safely. So the two, as you described them, tackles on Tom Brady and Derek Carr were form tackles. They were not aggressive. They were not going helmet to helmet. There was no in, like instances of targeting or even going low. It was just this issue that the full body weight landed on the quarterback. And yeah, I can imagine that it's not comfortable for Tom Brady, who is much smaller than the defensive lineman tackling him, um, to have that occur. But like, he's wearing pads. It can't be that bad. Yeah. And that seems like a personal problem. Like Josh Allen is like a ginormous human being and it probably doesn't hurt him quite as much. Like, it's true. You know, I mean, yeah, like, you know, that's great. You have this strict diet, but maybe if you had a little extra cushion, it wouldn't be so bad. (laughs) <laughs> like, um, I just, I don't, a lot of people started talking about the relation to these calls being made and what happened to Tua last week. But, um, one of my good friends, uh, Benjamin Solak, he said, um, you know, it's really, it has to be two distinct things because these calls aren't, you know, like you said, helmet to helmet or anything like that. And the roughing the passer calls were actually created after Aaron Rodgers broke his collarbone on a play. So I think the narrative around the roughing the passer calls being made to protect quarterbacks heads um, needs to be sort of separate from what it actually is. Like these were just really bad calls and that's what um, they should be discussed as versus like player safety situations. Agree wholeheartedly. And if I recall the language when Rogers, when the call or when the, penalty was changed as a result of Rogers. It was the driving into the ground. Yeah. Which, which yeah, that's not good. Still neither of these like qualified no. as driving into the ground. It was they just fell on Derek Carr and Tom Brady. Um yeah. my my darling husband proposed a very interesting solution, which a lot of people will hate, but I think it's kind of a cool one. But just play two hand touch with the quarterback. Like if we're so yeah. concerned about hitting them, just two hand touch, you're you're sacked, you're done. Yeah, or give them one of those, like, flag football belts. I mean, if that's, you know, what we're coming to, like, and it's and it's not consistent across the league because you have, like, quarterbacks who are considered, like, passers, and then you have, like, Jalen Hurts, what, uh, who doesn't get sort of the same protections because he can tuck the ball and run. So um, I just think it's silly. I think it's very obvious when there should be a flag. Like, you take a hit and you're like, oh, yeah, yep. that that was a little aggressive. Like, I think the ref should be using that as like the, you know, if they're like, ooh, then 
okay, throw the flag. But <laughs> if you're just like the crowd ooze, then yeah, then you know that that's a penalty. <laughs> yeah. I agree. I think. Uh, you know, one of the other things that's interesting about this is something you alluded to. There, what do you remember? It was a couple years ago. An article came out about the number of pass roughing the passer calls against each quarterback, and like Tom Brady had the most, and like Baker Mayfield had the least. And it's exactly what you described. If refs are expecting quarterbacks to take off and run or to have that ability, um, then they're less willing because they're like, "Oh, he's a runner; you can tackle him," or "He's a passer; you can't tackle him at all." Um, right. Which is just. Silly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's frustrating. And I think, I mean, last night's game was silly just anyway, because then you had that. And then I don't know if the refs were like, mm, maybe that was a bad call, because then the Raiders had like 12 flags in a row. It was, it was like, okay, can we just let them play? Like, this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that got ridiculous, uh, we didn't even have to move on from this call uh, because Troy Aikman in 2022 decided that in reference to these roughing the passer calls, we should at the next player meeting take the dresses off the quarterbacks to get rid of these roughing mm-hmm. calls. Sure. Um. So, yeah, that's that's fine. Um. It's not. That is not even a microaggression. That's just a straight up aggression. And it's rude, Troy Aikman. You should apologize. Yeah, and it's like, uh, I mean, it's just so ridiculous for so many reasons. I mean, can we call him an asshat? Because I would like to call him an asshat. I think we can. Okay, I'm if into we need it. A blue button, I think Matt can add it. <laughs> I just, I mean, like you said, it's 2022, like – you know what, maybe they should put dresses on because maybe they would have um, a little more, um, uh, I don't even know what I want to say. He would be a little bit stronger against taking a hit. I mean, I maintain that (laughs) we tend to go through many tough experiences. So saying that as a dress wearer, you are less tough than a non-dress wearer simply is inaccurate yeah it's just like like you said, it's just ridiculous I mean we can talk about having bad calls without you know having to be misogynistic about it um yeah. you know it's the same as calling him names or you know whatever it is like it's just uncalled for and I mean like if you're gonna make fun of someone like make fun of the wrath like oh hey like you must have been watching a different play like anything but instead it's like let's let's talk about 50 percent of the population in a disparaging way yeah it's yeah like maybe the ref needs glasses or (laughs) something like that like or maybe the quarterback needs you know more padding like there's just literally so many other things you can talk about other than like insinuating that they're women and therefore not able to take as big of a hit yeah it was an unnecessary shot also, super awkward that this happened right before the two-minute warning, um, before the half. And they go right to Susie Colbert, who is amazing. And it's like she just has to go and host the halftime show after her colleague made a misogynistic comment about dress wearers. Yeah. I feel like I feel like that happens more often than, you know, we talk well, about. Well, it sure does. I mean, in all of our works, right? <laughs> Right, right. 
Well, anyway, we must move on before we rage too much. But before we wrap up NFL things, I have to ask Alexis, what former Buckeyes have impressed you the most through the NFL season so far? I'm really into some of the rookies. Like Garrett Wilson for the Jets was having, you know, a couple really big games early on. Um, It's really scary what happened to Olave last weekend. Um, So he's in concussion protocol, but he's clearly going to be a big part of the Mm -hmm. Saints offense. Um, which the Saints are kind of like weird because they have so many Buckeyes. Like, I mean, they, eight or nine. Oh, yeah. They've been that way for like years. Remember when their entire defensive secondary yeah. were like former Buckeyes? It was bananas. Yeah. And it's still pretty close. I mean, other than shipping a few of those to the Bengals. Like, um, <laughs> you know, but Michael Thomas, you know, has not really played a lot. And, you know, Nick Vanette, he's on the roster, which I – love him, but he is inactive just about every week. Um, So even though they have a whole lot of them, you know, I guess they're not being utilized all that often. But um, speaking of ones that went to the Bengals, uh, Von Bell is having a really good season for Cincinnati. So um, a lot of, I don't know, a lot of Buckeyes are doing well. They sure are. Uh, One thing I could have done without Eli Apple, you forgot to say the during your Sunday night football intro. Yeah. I don't know. He, I feel like he is, he's obviously a Buckeye through and through, but maybe, you know, I don't want to say distances himself from the university, but he's not as buckeye as some of the other Buckeye alums. Yeah. Maybe he got nervous. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he was just like, that's silly and we don't need to say the, but. Maybe he, he thought he wouldn't like finish his whole intro in like the yeah. allotted time. <laughs> That's the Ohio State University is kind of a long thing. Maybe to say. he was like, "Oh, cool! I'm in the starting lineup. Like, what should I say?" <laughs> or that. <laughs> um, well, speaking of the Bengals, not maybe not repeating for the Super Bowl this year. Um, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> who? Currently, with what you know about the NFL season now, who is your Super Super Bowl pick? Um, I'm going to say it's going to be an Eagles-Bills Super Bowl, and the fans are going to break the world. (laughs) That just seems like two of the most aggressive fan bases going head-to-head, but also fantastic. I I like that pick. Uh, The Bills are also my pick in the AFC. As... I'm going to mention the Browns one more time, and then hopefully that's it. Um, as the Browns fan, I need to have, like, an alternative team to cheer for. And, like, this year it's the Bills because I feel like they are also a long-suffering fan base. And after what happened in the playoffs last year against the Chiefs, I just feel like the Bills need it. Yeah, I wouldn't be like, mad about so it. good. Yeah, like, they're really fun to watch, and I wouldn't be mad about it at all. Like, there are some teams that I – will absolutely be mad about if they make it to the Super Bowl, but the Bills are not one. We've got some more hot topics for you coming up, but we're going to take a short break, so stay with us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. 
From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So Ohio State might have a bye this week, but there's no shortage of top matchups elsewhere in the Big Ten and FBS and other hot topics to discuss. Um, Alexis, do we want to start with coaching changes? Sure. All right. So uh, last week, Megan and I broke down the Big Ten's coaching carousel, which got an interesting twist this week when Matt Rule got his pink slip from the Panthers, and he's been cited as a possible candidate for both Wisconsin and Nebraska's vacancies. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Like, so the Panthers owe him his money for this season, but his buyout, uh, they they won't have to pay him in the out years, which I think is three more years, um, because whatever college he gets hired for, it'll offset that salary. So it'll be like, if it were me, and I was set to make millions of dollars for doing nothing, I would take the rest of the season off and be like, cool, I'm going to wait until the off season when all the openings are out there because, you know, I'm sure there will be a lot more in the coming months. But I also see him being like, like jumping into something super preemptively. Um, you know, Wisconsin would be interesting. I don't know. He was like a good college coach. He seems like a good guy. I don't know. He, he does seem like a good guy, and he has been, like, wildly popular in, like, these coaching vacancy forums. Um, I just find it so interesting that Nebraska really seems to believe that they'll fill this vacancy before the end of the season, which means, like, the candidate has to be available. Like, they're not trying yeah. to post someone from another program, like an up-and-comer. Um, they're really trying to – find someone who's already out there, which after this debacle with Scott Frost feels like a huge miss. Yeah. I mean, that just seems like so like rushing into things, which just never seems to really work out. And Nebraska life. Yeah, correct. And I think Nebraska really needs to take a step back and like be a little introspective at this point and be like, where are we as a football team? What are we looking like? And what do we want to be? Because uh, what they had their identity as didn't actually reflect what their team was able to do. And um, the head coaching failure so early would just, I think, just lead to disaster for anybody they try and hire midseason. Like the coach will have no rapport with the players. Like you're going to try and build something in the middle of the year, potentially change schemes or ask your head coach to adapt to a scheme that he may not feel comfortable you know, running, like there's just so many things that could go wrong hiring a coach midseason. Yeah, it it really sets no one up for success. And that's just on the hiring side. Like, for the record, I hate the midseason coaching firing as well, especially so early in the season. Like you mess up your recruiting cycle. Recruits don't know what kind of scheme they're going to be playing for the coming year. They're certainly not going to consider these teams nearly as much as they would 
even if, you know, you have sort of a what we recognize as a lame duck coach like Paul Christ or Scott Frost. Yeah. And, you know, for Matt Rule's side, like, that's crazy he got fired five games into an NFL season. That seems yeah. almost, like, unheard of. And like I said, if I was still set to make, like, millions of dollars, I'd be like, I'm going to take the next few months off. I'm going to enjoy the holidays with my family. Um, you know, I'll talk to all of you guys in January, like following the national championship. And then we'll talk like I would if I were him, I would not rush into anything. Oh, completely agreed. The I feel like Nebraska completely misread the market and what folks motivations were to to come yeah. in and run their team. Um, but moving on to college games. So I mentioned there's no shortage of top matchups this week. We need to talk about some of these. So kicking off with the headliner, number three, Alabama at number six, Tennessee. What are your thoughts? I would love for Alabama to lose like they should have lost several times this year. Like, I think, I don't think any team in the top five looks like completely unbeatable, which I feel like it's a little bit different than the past few years. Like, you know, previously it's like, I don't want to take care of, or I don't want to play Alabama. Like they had a close game early in the season. You're like, man, I really feel bad for their next opponent. They're going to absolutely dominate. And then they didn't. And then they almost lost to Texas A&M. Like um, I think they're a totally beatable team and I'm not a big Tennessee fan, but literally anybody but Alabama. Yeah. Um, in many ways, I feel like the Tennessee fan base is like the Dallas fan base that we alluded to earlier. They always think they're good, but they never actually are. But of course, this year is when right. they both actually are. Um, I completely agree. feels like Alabama is vulnerable. Uh, it's unclear at this point if Bryce Young is going to be back. But certainly, like it feels like a good Tennessee team could beat an Alabama absent Bryce Young. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I I do feel like it seems like any week, like Alabama could absolutely any week win by 45 points. I mean, sure. But they could also lose any week. I feel like it's like they're due. They're due. They are. Years and years in the making, but it's time. Um, Two surprising teams from the SEC, number 14, Mississippi State versus number 22, Kentucky. Um, I don't have many opinions about this, but I am a Kentucky fan this year. Like, I like their un like unexpected success. Okay, I'll take that. Um, in that case, I'm gonna go with Mississippi State because they're Bulldogs. So yeah, I mean that's fair. Okay, cool. Um, love this. We're gonna move on to two Big Twelve matchups. Uh, number 19 Kansas versus an unranked Oklahoma that got shut out last week in the Red River rivalry. That was bad. I mean, it was like good, but like bad. <laughs> I, um, I'm i still bitter about Oklahoma's, you know, mini heyday there with Baker Mayfield and then Jalen Hurts. Like, um, I feel like they squandered OSU's opportunity for a couple years. So I'm going to fully live in this moment of them being unranked and not very good. Loved seeing... I mean, I loved seeing them absolutely get destroyed. Not that like Texas is particularly lovable in terms of obnoxious fan bases. Like they are right up there with Ohio State. I can own that. That's fine. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, when Oklahoma got shot out, I was paying zero attention to the game and my husband came in and he was like, Meredith, Texas is back. 
and then we laughed about it. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. Texas is always back and never back at the same time. Yeah. We have a theme with like the Cowboys, Tennessee, Texas. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a vibe this week, I guess. Yeah. Um, but perhaps the more exciting matchup in the Big 12 is number eight, Oklahoma State versus number 13, TCU. Two, I mean, we, I think we knew Oklahoma State was okay. I don't think we yeah. had any concept of TCU. No. And also, like, is Oklahoma State really number eight okay? Or, like, I feel like the rankings this year are, like, a little bit made up. Like, I don't know. Let's just stamp, <laughs> a, like, let's just stamp a number on them. Um, you know, and we'll get to it obviously in a, in, you know, in a bit, but it's like, sure, sure. Michigan can be number five. They haven't played any, anyone and don't look really that great, but sure. They can be number five, like Oklahoma state number eight. Okay. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way. It's hard to know, especially in the big 12, you just like don't play defense and you just kind of put up numbers. Yeah. And are you that good? Or are you just like playing the air raid. I don't know. Right. Um, well, anyway, on to two teams that do not play that style of play. Uh, and probably like two surprises from the ACC, number 18 Syracuse versus number 15 NC State. Yeah, I would um, I would have liked NC State a little bit more if they would have beat Clemson. Yeah, I think I feel that vibe. Yeah, like, you know, they, they can be ranked whatever they want. They're, they're not going to the playoffs, but – um, if they would have beat Clemson, I would have liked them a lot more. <laughs> Heard. Agreed. Um, this one's hard for me because, I mean, I'm cheering for Mississippi State because they're the Bulldogs. So I feel like I should cheer for the Wolfpack. But, like, how can you be upset with, like, a giant orange mascot? <laughs> right. it's just- so that's how I'm taking games. I'm struggling here. No, I love that because also, like, can you just imagine for a second, like, okay, we really need a mascot. What should we do? It's like, well, Stanford, they're, they're the trees. Um, <laughs> so, you know what? Let's be an orange, even though we're in New York and not even in Florida. Let's be a giant orange. I feel like they were trying to channel the Orange Bowl. Like, they were trying to, like, <laughs> telepathically, like, put themselves in that position. Yes. Oh, that's just silly. I mean, mascots are silly anyway, but that one is like top five. I'm sorry, you're an orange? Like, mm-hmm. what? We'll see if we can have you and Jamie on the show together later this year because Jamie and I love mascots. So, yes. yeah. Um, exciting matchup in the Pac-12 and definitely, like, again, there's this theme today not only of like obnoxious fan bases, but also of simply things that we did not expect heading into the season. Number seven, USC versus number 20, Utah. Yeah. Um, I don't really care. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Pac-12 is garbage? Well, that and like, okay, whichever. I mean, it's fine. Like, I don't really, I don't have much like um, – I don't care very much that USC is going to be joining the Big Ten and, like, making them look good. Like, I don't care. Um, And Utah's always kind of a fun, like, team that upsets other teams. So, you know, I'm just rooting for a good game for that one. Do you just want everyone to have fun? Yeah, or or for everyone to not have fun and it be really bad, but, like, the kind of bad that's super fun to watch. 
Oh, well, it's good football to fall asleep to because it's the Pac-12. And, right. you know. <laughs> right. I think this is a really interesting one just because U.S. or excuse me, Utah was so touted coming into the season. USC was a bit of an experiment with Lincoln Riley going there in his first year. But, you know, when you poach the entire Oklahoma team right. or the best of the Oklahoma team and bring it to the best of the USC remain, remaining team, like, go figure they're going to be better. Um, but, yeah. Agree. It's kind of like it's the Pac-12. What does it really matter? Um, right. None of them are going to the playoff. Right. But like okay. <laughs> two teams who actually, I mean, hopefully not, but probably the toughest remaining competitors for Ohio State this season. Number ten, Penn State at number five, Michigan. Yeah, um, I refuse to choose a winner of this match. <laughs> um, I don't like. I said, is Michigan number five? I don't know. And like, I totally get the whole. You know, for Ohio State, we need the strength of schedule. We need these teams to look good and to be good and to win until we play them. Um, But still, it's Michigan. I don't like them. I don't like their coach. And I just, um, you know, whatever. They can be number five until we play them. But I just don't want them to be. (laughs) I mean, I hear you. And, like, this is the problem with – I mean – Michigan in particular, Penn State to a degree, and like we'll we'll call it what it is with Ohio State. We don't really understand how these three teams stack out in the East. Um, I think I just knocked on wood. Ohio State is the best of the bunch, but like Michigan has banana stats because they padded everything in the non-conference with three garbage opponents. Um, Penn State at least played what turned out to be a good Purdue team early. And I feel like their number 10 ranking is somewhat justified. Um, They started the season unranked, and I feel like they've run the table in a way that's been impressive enough. But then they won, what was it, 17 to 14 against Northwestern last weekend? And Northwestern is, like, they are bad. Um, (laughs) But they have a really pretty new stadium coming. I know they do. And their new facilities are so nice. I love love Northwestern. Love Pat Fitzgerald. They're terrible. Anyway. Um, so I feel like this weekend is basically just going to be a learning experience of who we should be more worried about. Like, should we be concerned heading into Halloween or should we be concerned heading into the last week of the season? Or should we not be concerned at all? (laughs) I like that too. I like the no anxiety approach. Yeah. I mean, there's always got to be a little bit of like, you know, don't overlook them. It could be a trap game, but also like sometimes the teams are just not that good. And that's fine too. Wisconsin, case in point. Um, anyway, two teams, uh, neither of whom I think were expected to be very good heading into the season. Uh, Minnesota, who unfortunately lost um, a couple weeks ago unexpectedly, uh, versus a very surprising one-loss Illinois team, who is ranked 24th. Illinois is ranked 24th. Like, yeah, that. Yeah, I almost feel like they're just like, I don't know, they're pretty decent. Let's just put them at the end of the list. <laughs> like, <laughs> is this like, the throwing darts approach to the AP poll you mentioned? Yes, I just, it's, it just seems a little bizarre. I mean, I don't know. Do you really think that Illinois is the 24 best team in all of FBS? Because I'm not so confident. I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel a similar way. I feel like James Madison is 25th and that 
maybe folks at the AP were just like, you know, why not? Uh, we'll give them a, we'll throw them a bone. Brett Bielema, is this his second season at Illinois, first season? He's doing better. Yeah. I always forget that he's there, too. Like, I always forget <laughs> that he's the coach. And then I see him on the sideline, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, well, he's been affiliated with basically every Big Ten West program. He went to Iowa, he got to Wisconsin, and yeah. then he, he's back. Right. He's back. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I just – when you're ranked number 24, I I really honestly just don't know that I would say like, okay, so who's the 24, 24th best team in college football right now? I just don't know that I would name Illinois. Yeah. I think that's a fair take. We'll, we'll see this weekend because Minnesota is pretty good. Um, yeah. 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 Well, it, like I said, it'll be a learning experience. Ohio State's on a bye, so – well, we'll yeah. deal with that. Um, speaking of Big Ten coaches, we did have a scary moment last week when Michigan running backs coach Mike Hart uh, had what appeared to be a seizure on the sideline. Uh, just wanted to address that real quick and wish him all of the best in his continued recovery. He, he is back in Ann Arbor. He hopes to rejoin the team soon, um, but definitely very scary. Yeah, that is such a scary moment. And I always think about how hard and tough it would be as a player to get back on the field you know after something like that or like in the NFL like after Tua's injury and kind of get back to like okay well back to the game like I personally would have a really hard time compartmentalizing something like that I mean you know sure I don't like Michigan very much but I'm sure the Michigan players you know are really close to him as a coach and you know that would just be really tough so definitely hoping he has you know a quick and complete recovery and, you know, all of that stuff moving forward. Yeah. And like you said, the photo, the, they took many photos of the players on the sidelines after the event happened and uh, definitely extremely heartbreaking players getting hugs from coaches and really trying to avoid a total breakdown before they headed onto the field. But yeah, like you said, uh, hopefully uh, everything goes smooth with his, with his recovery. And, you know, I would love to get back to our usually usual needling of Michigan very soon. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to take a a long break from that, but I <laughs> I really hope that he's yeah, he's back and um coaching like he does. And then I can make fun of it later in the season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um wrapping things up on a lighter note. Uh Ohio State as we mentioned is on a bye this week. They face Iowa next week. It's already been announced as big noon kickoff on Fox. Obviously Fox's primetime quote unquote game. Uh, Iowa's really bad on offense this year. And they're also just really boring in general. And I feel like we need to address the fact that Ohio State has been getting like many primetime games that probably they shouldn't be getting. Last week, it was uh, Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler on the call for the afternoon kick against Michigan State. Like things that don't necessarily make sense for yeah, Ohio State could- games. And you can tell, like, Kirk Herbstreet was not excited to be on that call. Like, he was (laughs) – I feel like it was like, what am I doing here? Um, I don't know. Unless it's like, let's see how much they can really beat up Iowa. Like, in one of those just completely dominant games that's, like, fun to watch if you're an Ohio State fan and absolutely something that Iowa fans turn off, like, 10 minutes in. Um. I don't, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. My 
husband, the Iowa fan, has already declared that he is under no circumstances watching this game. <laughs> and in fact, is trying to schedule like a tea time for us during the kick. And I'm like, I, I would like to watch the game. Right. Darling. Right. I mean, hey, they might have a really bad offense, but our secondary, even though it's much improved from last year, is still something that, you know, could be a little gift for the Hawkeyes. If they could manage to complete a downfield pass, but we'll address that next week. Hey, Navy years ago just ran the ball 800 times in a game and they still found a way to score points. That's what one does with the triple option. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, anyway, before we wrap up the show, Alexis, do you have any shout outs? I think I want to shout out our good friend and uh, managing editor for LGHL, Matt Tamanini, for having to edit this show. And um, in his honor, I'm going to preemptively make my prediction for the Ohio State-Iowa game um, since I'm talking to you this week. And I'm going 63-2. to two. Wow. I love the safety. Yes. Oh, boy. I'm going to say my prediction for this week. I will echo the shout out for Matt because hopefully he will successfully cut out the part where I had to chase my cat because she had a piece of string that she was trying to eat. One second, Alexis. My cat is trying to eat string. (laughs) But I am going to shout out all four of our pets. Um, we have a little girl gang. We just made an addition a couple weeks ago, and everyone has been doing very well and having a lot of patience with our new pup, Lucy. So Aww. shout out to the pets. Yes. The pets deserve a shout out. Thank you. I think so too. All right, that's all we have for today. As a reminder, you can follow Alexis at Lovely Buckeye, me at Meredith Hine, and the site at LeanGrant33. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to Play Like a Girl, and as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks. <laughs>